Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. talk over the end of the music because we're here for another cricket badger podcast um 2023 it's the first time we, uh, we did one um a couple of days ago we're back in sync for cricket badger podcast we had the world cups and things at the end of last year which meant i took a couple of months off but uh, we're back now and the cricket badger podcast sponsored by manscape.com for the best in male grooming quote badger and um, with your order and you get 20% off and free shipping. So there's the um, the housework done. Um, Lydia Greenway is with me on the podcast today. It's a great pleasure to have you on, Lydia. How are you? Hi, James. Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Yeah, currently in sunny South Africa, which is is nice for the under-19s World Cup. Um, and yeah, hearing that it's a bit chilly back home. So um, if, I, yeah. if I was to take my laptop and uh, point it out of my window, you'd see white on the floor, and it's um, it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, but uh, yeah, I've got the heating on, and basically in these times, that is doesn't happen unless you really need it. So um, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to keep warm. Um, but it's very good to have you on the Cricket Badger podcast. I wanted to have you on for a while. Um, you've got a book out as well, Women and Girls Cricket. How we can grow the game together. And that is, um, well, 225 caps, I think, in total for England during your career between 2003 and 2016. You've gone into coaching. You've gone into the media now. You can stay. You're out in South Africa at the moment um, covering that competition. And you've got your book out as well. So busy times. Yeah, really busy. It's um, Yeah, I mean, the book, I'm just relieved it's done. It, it's taken a while. It's taken about three years to to get it done. Um, started during the first lockdown um, during COVID. And yeah, it's been, yeah, really enjoyed doing it. Pleased it, it's done. And just more than anything, I, I hope it helps um, a lot of people because, as you know, I think the women and girls space is is growing and it, it's got huge potential. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to hopefully, um, you know, 
know, make sure that that book can help people getting involved in the game. I, I've written a few books and they always seem a really good idea when you start off with them and then you get about halfway through and you think, well, why have I started doing this? But then when you get the box through the um, post and you open it up and you see the finished product, it's actually quite a little, a proud little moment, isn't it? Yeah, it's so nice because you, when you, yeah, exactly right. When you have that physical copy in your hand, because all you ever see leading up to that, as you know, is the manuscript and you can't mm. really comprehend how this document on your computer is going to suddenly be turned into a book so yeah it's, it's a lovely feeling when when you finally get it through that's for sure I can remember thinking how many words I've got so far how many more do I need oh, can I do this I don't want to do this anymore anyway uh, but that's that um, you're going to take on the uh, cricket badger 20 questions today we'll refer to your book as we go through um, but um, as I said to you uh, just before we pressed uh, go live um, some are frivolous some are a bit stupid some are more serious and we'll start off with one which uh, kind of just eases us into the cricket chat uh, and that's yeah. why cricket what is it about cricket uh, that kind of turned you on I guess and made you love it yeah, I think, well, for a lot of, I think a lot of females my age, they probably have a really similar story and it's often a male relative gets you involved in the game and that was the case for me. So my dad played um, at our local cricket club, so that was Hayes in Kent um, and our weekends, I'm sure all our listeners can relate to this, you just spend the whole weekend up at your local cricket club. Mm. Um, so for young children, I have, I've got um, a younger brother and an older sister, and we just roamed the grounds of the cricket clubs. You know, we were building camps and then, you know, causing mischief. But then as we got a bit older, we actually started to take a bit more interest in, in the cricket. So instead of building the camps, we then progress into the cricket nets and really informally, you know, there was nothing, you know, no sort of coaching or anything. And, and then I think the interest grew from there and, yeah, started playing competitively, but only ever boys cricket because, mm. yeah, as you probably know, back in the 90s, that was really the only option. If you were younger, want, yeah. wanting to play, that that was your only option. And unfortunately, but also a bit fortunately as well, because I think it toughens you up a bit. Had Charlotte Edwards on um, a couple of years probably ago now. Time flies, isn't it? But the um, she she was saying that um, same kind of process as you, I think. But it's quite tough, I think. I, I got the impression from Charlotte it's not easy because you kind of playing boys cricket, you're expected to be a certain way. There's a stereotype certainly in those times about what a, a women's cricketer was going to be. So it's not necessarily the easiest path. No, it's not, and I think. I mean, when you look back, I think as a child, when you're younger, you don't often think about the things that are challenging at the time. So you could be going through something and you you never really question it. So, mm. you know, I'm sure Charlotte would have spoken about when she turned up to cricket matches and as the only girl, you're sort of sent to a, a toilet cubicle to go and get changed to then meet your team out on the pitch. Um, you know, comments from opposition who don't necessarily think a, a girl should be playing in a boys team, umpires who give you out when you're not out because you're a girl, all those sorts of things. And yeah, you just don't see, you know, you don't see what's happening at the time. I think your parents are, are aware of it. Um, but then I think it's only now when you start to look back and you think, actually, that probably toughened me mm. up a bit, um, yeah. you know, when you go through all those sorts of things. We've had um, a few podcasts ago back in October. We had the uh, ladies from Say No to Sexism on, uh, and I think it's still kind of relevant now. Yeah. You know, those, those debates are still relevant now. You know, you, you kind of 
Um, I think one of the um, ladies said that at 13, she was getting sort of sexual comments on the pitch from males and stuff like that. So women, it, there is a little bit of misogyny in cricket still, isn't there? Yeah, I think there is. And I, th- I think that's the case in society, really. I think it's cricket and I think sport is a reflection of um, mm. society um, and what's going on in the community. So I think, you know, they're, they're no different. The, the issues that we face in cricket, I don't think are any different to what we still face in society at the moment as well. Um, and I, I guess it just takes a bit of time for change. But I think what I've seen is a lot of promising stuff. So we, our family friends who have been to say for that example the 100 games um they've got young teenage boys who they're 18 years old and they want to watch the women's games as much yeah. as they want to watch the the men's games and i think you know that next generation of of young people i think are, are coming through with a much more open minded and um and that's you know that's what we want isn't it not just for, yeah. for women but for any i guess minority group if you like yeah i think um i mean i i I've watched women's cricket for a while now, but the I think the skill levels are fantastic and they're getting better all the time, aren't they? Um, it's just, I mean, I, I see comments on Twitter from people saying, oh, I'm not watching that, it's slow, it's, you know, they're not as fast as the men and that kind of I think you just got to take it as a different product, haven't you? You can't just kind of, you, yeah. the comparisons are dangerous, aren't they? If you, can, yeah, if you compare I, the men to the women. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's, you're exactly right. They are different games. Um, You know, if you're turning up to watch a women's game and you're expecting to see the ball be bowled 90 miles an hour, then you are at the wrong type of cricket. But if you're there to appreciate, um, you know, high levels of skills, good technique, fitness levels, um, tactical awareness, all the stuff that comes with the game of cricket, then you'll get that in the women's game. And, you know, it's only the players are getting better because they're given more opportunity historically. Well, going way back when, you know, women haven't been allowed to play the game of cricket. So by, you know, naturally there is a bit of catching up to do um, because the investment hasn't always been there. Mm. But as we know now, the investment is coming and the product is only ever going to get better. And yeah, that's what excites excites me because I don't think we're even scratching the surface now. The, the um, women's football success at the Euros last uh, last year as well, I, I get the impression probably in about 10 years' time there's going to be a fantastic women's football team because there's going to be a lot of young girls inspired to play. But that possibly has knock-on effects to cricket as well, that you know, young girls see sport as being an option. Yeah, hundred percent. I was I was there at the final actually, um, oh, yeah. watching the lionesses. Yeah, and I tell you, it was unbelievable. Um, the feeling that I had was, I think I put a tweet out, and it, it just felt like you found your tribe because when you looked around the the ground, it was, you, you know, young girls, older women, um, and suddenly they're given an opportunity to go and watch people like them because, um, of course, we've been offered mainly men's sport which is great because you know we you look it's it's sport it doesn't matter about the gender but that is all we've been offered for a long time in terms of in the media tv radio all that sort of stuff but I think the lionesses and their success and the fact that the personalities came through so much as well and I can only imagine the amount of young girls who are now asking their parents they want a football because of of what they did. And, yeah, it gave me goosebumps um, watching that final and seeing them do the lap round, the ground afterwards. It, yeah, it was amazing. 
I'm probably going to misquote this that, that phrase, but it's that if you can see, it, you can be it, or whatever it is, isn't it? Whereas you know, yes, if you've got yeah. your role models, you can you want to be them. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's yeah. Again, it's you don't know what you don't know. So when you're younger, you just take you just take it that you only see men playing sport. But then suddenly, when you're given a female playing sport suddenly it just gives you you know the young girls an extra boost um and then yeah like you say it just opens up so many more opportunities mm. and yeah i'm sure f- football will be even bigger than it is now in in our country badges are furry creatures 85 percent of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn off 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com. Quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com. Together, we save balls. If it hadn't been cricket, where would you have gone with your life? I mean, when you started out, did you have to have a job and stuff like that to support yourself? Because you weren't full-time then, I guess. Yeah, we did. So I made my debut back in 2003 um, and I was subsidising my playing career by coaching. Um, We had a little bit of lottery funding. um, Mm. And when I say a little bit, I think it was maybe a few hundred pounds to cover our travel um, and things like that. And that's where I think the game probably lost quite a lot of uh, young girls because there wasn't that genuine part pathway uh, progression in terms of a career and then it wasn't until a few years later where the chance to shine contracts came in um so I don't know if, um, how familiar people will be with that but the England team were working in partnership with chance to shine which is a cricketing charity and they sort of provided our income we would go out and coach in schools and then they would give us the flexibility when it came to an England tour they'd say right you can go off and play there now so that was that was a sort of an in-between a bridging point really between the amateur game and then us mm. moving into professionalism in I think it was 2014. So it's always been cricket then with you if, it, if cricket hadn't existed where would you have gone? <laughs> I don't know to be honest I, I always enjoyed hockey um, that was my sort of big second sport which I played just to club level um, so I guess I, I wonder if I could have given that a crack where I would have got to um, in terms of if I had to have got another job I have no idea um maybe a police officer or a teacher I'm I don't I don't really know um so yeah I'm just grateful that cricket worked out to be honest (laughs) who has been the biggest influence on your cricket career uh my dad yeah without a doubt I think he was the one who was giving me throwdowns at a young age um accepting when I got um into a bit of a mood and sulked when I when I hadn't got had a good session um yeah so he was obviously my very first coach um but then throughout there he's always been that um I guess the sounding board that I'd be able to to chat to um and yeah so he yeah without a doubt it, it would be him 
If I could let you relive 24 hours from your cricketing life again, um, a special day <laughs> that you want to kind of feel the highs and, and, and the smiles from again, where would you go? Oh, well, the one that's come straight to my mind is when uh, we won the Ashes back in 2005, obviously the same year that the men yeah. had won it. Um, the reason I'm picking that one isn't because of what happened. Well, of course, it's what, what's happened on the pitch, but it was what came after. Obviously, the parade through London um, on the double-decker buses and the celebrations the night before, um, all of those things was was unbelievable. Um, but it was quite funny because even then, you know, the women's game wasn't in the mainstream media. Um, and so, you know, people who would have seen that parade through London, it was the, the men first in that red big red double-decker bus and then we were behind them and you could hear the people who were lining the streets as we went by you sort of there was a bit of confusion as to who we were and I heard someone say oh there's they're the wives and girlfriends (laughs) (laughs) and if I'm honest we didn't mind we were having a great time um and then we got down into Trafalgar Square but before we turned the corner we could hear the singing, we could hear Jerusalem being sung. And as we turned the corner and, you know, we saw Trafalgar Square for the first time, um, people in the fountains, I think my brother was was one of them. Um, and everything that came with that, I think that was just something that would definitely, that will stay with me for, for a long, long time. The uh, flip side of the question, if there's a day <laughs> that you don't want to relive again, what's the worst, what's the worst memory? Oh, I think when we've missed out on World Cups, I think that's when you do all the hard work and you get to a big final or a semi-final. Um, I remember one in particular, it was out in the West Indies. I think it was a T20 World Cup. And for anyone who's had that disappointment of losing a big, big game, there's nothing that can be said to change the mood in the changing room. When everyone's back in that changing room, it's just a horrible, horrible silence. No one knows what to say and no one knows what to do. And you just sat there for however long, a decent amount of time. And um, yeah, they are always horrible, horrible feelings um, because, you know, it's another opportunity missed, um, which is, is always hard to take. I don't know if you watched the World Cup final, but the, the French team obviously lost. Um, and then there was President Macron um, went into the, uh, the French <laughs> players' dressing room afterwards and he was giving this impassioned speech where he was clapping his hands together and telling him how proud he was of them. And, and they were just sat there and they didn't want him there at all. You could see it. Made no, no. difference to them. <laughs> it's all in the timing, isn't it? That is the worst time that you can go up and try and console anyone who's just um, had that dream slip away from them. <laughs> Who was your cricketing hero when you were uh, a youngster coming through and discovering the love of the game? Oh, this is, she always cringes when I say it because we're really good friends, but Charlotte Edwards... Um, so from a young age, we played together from, I think, 14 was when I made my Kent Senior Women's debut. Um, and she was actually our captain. Um, but she taught me so much about the game. Um, and I got to just watch her and how she went about her her business, the discipline that she had, the drive, the motivation. Um, but also the, the time that she had for other people as well. Um, she would be the the last one to leave training, not just if it's her training, but if she was needed to throw balls at other people. 
Um, so yeah, with, without a doubt, it would be would be Lottie. Um, right, this could be a, a man or a woman is your answer to this one. But if I could let you jump into the skin of somebody else for a day, um, a current <laughs> player, um, you can have their skills, you can have their life, you can have everything that goes with it, but you can be that player for 24 hours. Who would you choose? Good question. Two names have sprung to mind. The first one was Joss Butler. I think from a, um, a mentality point of view, I've never seen him flustered and I would love to know what his thought processes are, how he remains so calm um, the decision-making process that he goes through as well. Um, I'd love to be able to just understand that. And then the second one, I know you only said one, but the second one that came to mind was Ben Stokes. Um, probably for obvious reasons, a lot of people um I'm sure would be keen to understand what makes him tick and um, especially the way that, that the, the men's team are playing at the moment. So uh, yeah, that they'd be, they'd be the two. And then I think the third, I'm breaking all rules here from a women's <laughs> point of view. Um, I think Meg Lanning for a similar reason of Joss Butler. Um, she's very calm under pressure and um, a great tactician as well. I'll just let you carry on. We'll have an 11. <laughs> <laughs> You are listening to the Cricket Badger Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Right, your book, uh, we'll get back to that because I'm going to ask you a question now. Um, but I'm going to just read out a couple of paragraphs off the uh, off the Amazon site, actually, because it's available on yeah. Amazon and probably in everywhere else as well. Um, for many yes. decades, women and girls cricket has been und- underrepresented, underfinanced, undervalued and lacking in true organisation. Despite this, Many thousands of female players over the years have fought against the barriers, developed their skills and fallen in love with this incredible sport. Recent years have seen an explosion of female participation, broadcast coverage, new teams, new clubs, new competitions and an undeniable sense that women and girls cricket is establishing itself as the most significant growth area of the game. We've seen full houses at Lords and the MCG. We've seen the success of the 100, the women's big bash, the prospect of a women's IPL and most importantly, thousands of new players across the world benefiting from everything cricket has to offer what is it what is needed now is to build on these successes to provide resources and information for clubs schools and coaches to start to grow and to coach their own programs this book is the answer is the uh, the bold claim at the end of that and um, the, the next I question on the, <laughs> the next question was um i'm going to put you in charge of world cricket for the day what one thing if your previous answer was anything to go to, what three things would you change or introduce <laughs> into the game to make it better i mean going back to your book i mean if you could actually encapsulate all of your book with three things that cricket could do um to make cricket better for girls for women what would you what would your answer be I think funding, um, investment, I think for nations who aren't at a place where the likes of England, um, Australia, soon to be um, India as well, who will be in that three, obviously with the women's IPL, I would love to see 
the sort of top eight, at least for now, have a really robust domestic structure because that's not in place at the moment. When you look at countries like the West Indies and South Africa, there's there's no under there's no foundations underneath their setup. So that means that you have to get lucky with what players you have coming through. Um, so to a certain extent, if you think of South Africa, their players have got better because they've played in the leagues around the world. They haven't got better because of their structure. So I'd love to see that um, come into play uh, much sooner for the for the teams because at the moment it's a little bit boring. Australia are just winning everything. So I'd love to for a I guess an even playing field to be created. And as, as English people, um, with all due respect to any Australians watching this, we don't like that, do we? <laughs> no, we don't. We absolutely <laughs> don't. I mean, it's it's great because they play amazing cricket and they are brilliant at what they do but I think to maintain interest you have to have a level of competition and it can't just be three or four teams who are always going to be in the semi-finals it has to be you know at least eight sides who are able to push each other so yeah that that's why I think that domestic structure underneath is is so important. If you were starting your career again today as a youngster, is there anything you'd do differently? And what would the twelve-year-old say? Twelve-year-old um, you say to the current you? Would you be? Uh, what would that twelve-year-old think of where you've taken yourself? Oh gosh, um, I guess I suppose when I look back on my career, I would have liked to have been a bit braver at times. I think playing the game of cricket, and I think when you're brought up playing the game, obviously you're you're taught to play it in the right way so correctly you know your wicket is so valuable but I think when you see the way that the game's being played now and you see when the fear of failure is removed or the consequence of being out is removed it breaks the shackles and I would have loved to have been given a good go to have played in that sort of mindset because it's amazing what can be done I think when you see players who are doing it and playing it that way I tell you what, I, that really resonates with me. I mean, I am a, just a humble cricketer, club cricketer. But the uh, I, I, when I was at school, all I thought was thinking about was playing in the V and like forward defensive. That was what you were coached, and and sell yeah. you wicket deer and all that kind of stuff. And then I used to see these kids come in at number eight who didn't really care about cricket, and I did. And they'd slog across the yeah. line and get the same amount of runs in about four balls. And yeah. I, I used, if I could go back now to the kind of like. 11 year old me I'd just be I try and be a lot more flamboyant and just go for it and I can really re- yeah. you know, it really resonates what you say yeah well one of the things that I try and do now when I go into schools or a club and coach if we're playing if we're doing a training drill um I try and just take the stumps out of it so if they're batting and they're you know they're in a net that boulders are there depending on what the session is just taking away the stumps it's amazing suddenly the batters just suddenly are freed up so, yeah, it's taken away that consequence because as a batter, you're always going to get out, aren't you? But I suppose it's what you do when you're in there. So you may as yeah. well give it a good crack. <laughs> what would the 12-year-old you then say to the the current you? Would that would uh, little Lydia be proud of where you've gone? I thought, oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, yeah, I've been very lucky to have had a, you know, a decent international career and have been able to travel as well so I guess it's not always the things that are the stats and the number of caps I think it's the the person experience as well so experience different cultures if I didn't play cricket 
I wouldn't have gone to places like India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Australia, New Zealand, like just wouldn't have gone to those places. And so I think it makes you a, a bit more, well, much more open-minded, I think, to different cultures, you know, different ways of living. And so I think, yeah, more than anything, I think hopefully my younger self will be appreciative of of having experienced those things as well. Having your passport stamped quite a few times as you've travelled around the world. <laughs> Right, yes. next question. Um, they say rock stars want to be sportsmen and vice versa. Sports stars want to be rock stars. If you could have been successful, famous, doing something else, what would you have liked to have done? Oh, the rock star element sounds good. <laughs> Maybe, um, yeah, um, famous doing something else. Well, I guess playing another sport, that's a bit boring, isn't it? Um, it's that's a similar right. sort of thing. Um, but yeah, maybe an international hockey player. Um, I would have loved to have yeah, seen how far I could have gone with that. I don't know if I would have made it, but I think experiencing that would have been good. My name is Jacob and I sent the Badger a message and now I'm on the podcast with this jingle. If you would like to get in touch with the Cricket Badger podcast, then tweet at cricket underscore badger. Um, right, we're on to the more frivolous questions now. Um, if you could meet anybody, this is a kind of dinner party question. If you could meet anybody living or dead, who would you like to meet? I'll give you three guests to have around your dinner table. Okay. Um, so whenever I get asked this question, I don't know if everyone is the same, but there's you tend to have one continuous person who's always there and you tend to mix it up a bit with others. So okay. the one who pops up quite a lot for me is Freddie Mercury. Right. Um, of Queen so that was we were brought up on a diet of uh, Queen, um, Elton John, Meatloaf, uh, the Beatles all those sorts of things but out of those I'd probably pick Freddie Mercury I think. The other people I, who come up on a regular basis um, is Pink, Pink the singer so I don't yeah. know if we'll be familiar with her but um, I've been seeing watch her play um, in concert and she's phenomenal but also quite a feisty character so I'd be interested um, to to see what she's got to say and then probably need a bit of comedy so someone like Dawn French I think could be quite <laughs> good value um, or Jennifer Saunders I'm not too sure which one I'll say you can, Dawn, you, Dawn. you can have them both you can they can okay, come as a pair, come as a pair. Okay, yeah. <laughs> You're just going to have to make they, one extra, one, lay one extra plate. Yeah, okay. They can share. They can share the, the meal. <laughs> Lydia, when you were, well, even now, have you got a nickname? What was your What was your nickname in the dressing room? Oh, I was one of these players who didn't really have one. Um, So it was either Lids or Lids. But then towards the back end of my career, um, my teammates, especially Heather Knight, took great joy in calling me Linda um, because... <laughs> We were playing out in New Zealand um, at Lincoln University, which is the equivalent of Loughborough, really. And so they didn't have massive technical facilities and they generally got random people in to do the broadcasting and the announcing. And so every time I went out to bat, I was Linda Greenway. Um, and so that's, that nickname of, of Linda has, has stuck. Um, yeah, so Linda or just normal Liz or Lids. Well, unbeknown to you, Heather Knight's written Linda the movie. Who's going to play you in Linda the movie? Oh, gosh. I've got to think of some actors now. Um, 
maybe Sandra Bullock because I think when she's been in films, she's been she's quite um, she's not too much of a serious actor. So hopefully, um, the less serious side will come through. So I'll I go for her. I think okay. she's done a few good films. She'll have to learn to play cricket, but that apart from, I'm sure, I'm sure she can do that. <laughs> um, what's yeah. the last? Are you a nervous kind of person? What's the last time you can remember feeling really nervous? Has the transition into the broadcasting side of things um, been out of your comfort zone and giving you some butterflies? Or is, is there another time? Oh yeah, all the time. I was nervous yesterday. I was covering um, England's game, and yeah, you just get nervous because the interesting thing is after. Um, after you've worked on the game from a broadcasting point of view, it's like playing, like, you know, if you've had an absolute shocker. Um, but similarly, you also know if, you know, you also know, you think, Oh, I've actually think I've done quite well there today. So I think it's exactly the same. And like you say, it's being out of your comfort zone, I think, um, which creates those nerves. And especially when you're doing live TV as well, like who know what, who knows what can happen. Um, so yeah, definitely that, that would be the most recent time I've been nervous. I was thinking when I've done a commentary or radio show or something, or or one of these, if you come off the back of it and think, I really enjoyed that. Usually it means you've been okay. Um, whereas if you come off it and you're all you're thinking about is, um, Oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Then that's not necessarily always a good sign. Yeah, um, it's human nature, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what is the top item on your bucket list? Things to do before you die. Um, what's the, what would be the main thing that you'd like to get out of the way? Hopefully you've got a few years yet before that has to happen. But Yeah. So, well, Canada's on my hit list, actually, to travel to. Um, so my grandma, who I was very close to, um, has got a sister out there. Um, so they live on Vancouver Island all my family have been um my best friend her mum is Canadian so they go every year but because of cricket I've never been able mm. to get over there so I think a, a decent trip around Canada um would definitely definitely be on my my bucket list has to that's be one, soon that's one thing David Gower said to me when he came on the podcast was that he oh, really? wanted- he he wanted to go to places that cricket didn't exist because basically in his life yeah. he'd gone to all of the traditional cricketing countries but he'd not seen other parts of the world. Yeah, yeah, and places like South America as well. I think mm. they'd they'd be pretty, well. A lot of people do them as part of their travelling or gap years or whatever. If they're lucky enough to have one. <laughs> I always fancied Cuba for some reason. Yeah, yeah. It was nice yeah. and bright and cheerful. Um, yeah. On a scale of one to ten, ten is the Fonz. I don't know if you remember Happy Days, but Fonz was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why yeah. I'm doing that because I'm not cool at all. The Fonz, um, yeah. <laughs> so the Fonz is, is is ten on the scale. Um, one is not cool at all. One's more me. Um, where would you be on that scale? <laughs> Definitely not the Fonz. Cool. <laughs> um, I would probably be somewhere in the middle, and I'm okay with that. I, I'm not someone who, you know, I don't think I try to be cool. Um, yeah, so I'm okay with not being cool. Um, so somewhere in between, that's absolutely fine with me. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, right, I've just outside now, I've transported it to South Africa. I've delivered you a time machine and you can take yeah. it forwards, you can take it backwards, you can go anywhere. It doesn't have to be a cricketing answer at all. Where yeah. would you like to take that time machine? The 60s, okay. definitely the 60s, yeah. For, I'm really into music um, and actually Isha Gua, who's one of my good friends, got me into 
appreciating more diverse music. Um, I remember when she first introduced me to the Kings of Leon, like before they were big. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, well, actually, they're pretty cool. But, yeah, the 60s, I think because of the the music that was out at the time and what was going on at the time, I think there was no technology, no phones. Life, I think, was a lot simpler, I'm sure. If you were yeah. in the moment there, there's always issues. But, um, yeah, without a doubt, I think I'd go back to the 60s. I like that answer. Um <laughs> If you could live anywhere in the world, you can have a second home anywhere in the world, where would you like me to stick it? Oh, good question. I think I would go with, only because I've lived out there, I've done two seasons out there, but Sydney um, in Australia, I think, because I've got a lot of good friends out there. Um, so to be able to obviously have a good base there would be great. And obviously with the lifestyle and and the cricket as well, I think it, it would be a good place to be based. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? Oh, gosh, what would it be? I'm a bit of a warrior. I think I worry too much. Um, so I think I'd probably would like to – I don't know if worry is the right word, but going back to what we spoke about earlier, when you reflect on, say, mm. a day's commentating, I think I nitpick a bit and I think it's, you know, people who just let go of things and move on – quickly I think that is definitely the way to go so I, I think I'd prefer to to try and get towards that than then you know over over analyzing things yeah I have, I overthink stuff and I don't know about you but when you get um off the back of this podcast say we might get um 100 people saying that was really good and then one person says me didn't like that and you were that's the one thing you'd remember oh on Honestly, Twitter, that is the worst. When I go on Twitter, I don't really go on social media much because firstly, I'm not consistent enough. And secondly, when people say nice things about you, I, I feel bad if I don't reply to everyone. So then I just, my policy is if I don't reply to anyone, then at least I'm not yeah. making people feel bad or and I also don't engage with anyone who doesn't say so nice things but Twitter going back to your point you're so right if you get 10 nice things said about you and there's that one that is not nice that's the one that you <laughs> remember which is is ridiculous really yeah. oh, it's bad isn't it but it's, I think I think a lot of people are guilty of that and uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, those negative things fester with you a lot longer yeah um, they do Lydia Greenway, what will you be doing in 10 years' time? Oh, gosh, good question. Um, oh, I'd like to think I'd still be um, doing what I'm doing now, to be honest. Um, commentating, I, I love I love it. Um, I love trying to be better at something. Um, like, um, yeah, very new to it still in comparison to other people. Um, so I'd definitely like to still be doing that. Definitely like to still be helping the grassroots game if I can um you know working in schools and in clubs um and yeah I guess I'm pretty happy with where I am now so I think if that can keep going then that would be great I don't think I'd be looking to change anything too drastically in 10 years time but who knows and where, where will the women's game be by then because it's gone on a pace hasn't it over the last 10 years so another 10 years hopefully it'll be even stronger yeah I feel like the women's game at the moment is playing catch up with itself um, because of the sheer numbers that have now come into the game. Obviously, there's more women and girls playing. So I think there's just a 
bit of catching up to do. So I think we need more female coaches in the game. Um, I think we need better structures underneath the international game. That's the one thing I've already mentioned it, but the one thing I think needs to be prioritised. So 10 years time, I think that that will be important. Your book, Women and Girls Cricket, How Can We Grow the Game Together? Why should somebody buy that? Give it a plug. Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I've got a copy here, so I can show you the front cover. There it is. I didn't pick that picture, but there we go. Why would someone buy it? I think it's, I mean, it's a guide really for for people who want to help in some way in the women and girls game. So my one hope of what it offers is just practical advice for people in clubs and in schools of the best way of delivering a cricket programme, for example, Um, but also for players and parents. So for parents, I think what we're seeing now is young girls are getting into the game via different routes so it isn't the male relative now so Mm. therefore there's parents of young girls playing the game and the parents have no idea about the game of cricket so when it comes to buying equipment when it comes to maybe how they talk to their daughter um the best way of helping to develop them um and also there's some we've had some really good contributors um to the book as well so past and present players so um it's not all just me so that's probably its biggest selling point to be honest is the other oh, people no. we've got involved in the book um so yeah you, you mentioned um the infrastructure kind of stuff about women's cricket i, I remember somebody saying to me about the hockey Ho- england won the world cup hockey and then a load of girls um descended or a load of people descended on hockey clubs and they just didn't have the capacity to cope with the added numbers they didn't have enough sticks they didn't have enough bags they didn't have enough goals whatever um is is cricket in that kind of situation and there's there's the demand for it but not necessarily the coaching the facilities to cope with that yeah definitely and that is i mean that is something we touch on in the book is how do you share and manage the facilities equally so For example, I've been into schools and the posh schools, um, but do do work in state schools. But often at those schools, you the teachers there are proud to tell you that the women are and or the girls are allowed to play on the main square once a year. But they're proud to say that, and I'm like, once a year? Are you serious? Like it should be, people should be striving to find a way where there's equality. And and so I think there there is definitely that plane of catch up and I think equipment's a big one um so I I run an online store as well and we just offer equipment which is suitable for females because that is also a challenge um you know clubs don't necessarily know what equipment why or well firstly I guess why is the equipment different as well so there are small differences so yeah because there's suddenly been this big influx I do think there is an element of catch up and okay what do we need to have in place for for the females I was the media manager at Yorkshire Cricket um, in the late noughties. And the, um, I, I tried to get um, double headers. I was kind of going for double headers where the women played before the T20 Blast games. And it never happened at the time. But obviously now they are doing, aren't they? We've got the, the 100 coming in. I'm not a big fan yeah. of the 100, Lydia. The, yeah. I'm a big fan of the fact that the women's game's getting the exposure. That's the one good thing for me. And it's, it's having a real impact, isn't it, on young girls? Yeah, it's massive. And yeah, you're exactly right. I- can't tell you how many people have said exactly what you've just said. Um, you know, it's been a, a massive boost for the women's game. And I think 
maybe that's what we should focus on rather than it being judged on what it's doing for the men's game actually let's you know see how how well it's going for the women's game which is obviously just as important the last question of the podcast and thank you very much indeed for coming on today enjoy the rest of your time in south africa i'm sure you will because it's a a wonderful country to be in um but if you'd been um, me today and you'd been asking you the questions is there anything you'd have asked to get a an exclusive and great and interesting answer have i missed anything that could have really pushed your buttons (laughs) i think you've done a great job um what would have pushed my buttons um actually do you know what one thing which i don't think is spoken enough uh, about enough in cricket but also in general is and this is a bit niche but subconscious bias within yeah. not just sport but outside of sport and I guess we can make it relative and um, relevant to cricket but I just think subconscious bias plays such a big part in the way that the game grows um and the experiences that people have good and bad um so yeah and that, uh, yeah I, it's sort of a quite a vague thing to say but uh, yeah subconscious bias for me is it's quite a big factor in the good and the bad stuff that happens in the game of cricket um, I've done, so I've done quite a bit of work around the Yorkshire racism stuff and Azim and, and what have you and the uh obviously conscious bias and an unconscious bias in in the in the kind yeah. of equality field whether it's race women or whatever is is a big thing isn't it i don't know if you've seen the crawley town manager the 18 month ban that he's got there was an article i read last night i think it was where there's a list of about 20 different racist things he said and then the fa say that isn't he, he it was unconscious bias he's not a racist and you're thinking well how can you say all of those things on a regular basis to the black players in your dressing room and actually not yeah. be a racist of some kind you know you have to be haven't you it's yeah. not that doesn't happen yeah. by accident but the same will happen yeah. with um with young girls and with females in in cricket yeah and I, I think the unconscious and the subconscious bias is the most dangerous one I think because people at the top are making decisions that they think are really good decisions but they're often only good decisions for certain people mm. um and so that's something that if people are more aware of their thinking and why they think the way that they do then I think we can get a lot further in in what everyone's trying to do, which is just making it a bit more equal for everyone. So yeah, well, it goes back hard. to what you were saying about the um, the housemaster or whatever, saying, "Oh, the girls are allowed to play on there one day a year." Yeah, they think I'm that's great. I'm being really proud of it. Yeah. and <laughs> yeah. it's not great, is it? Because they should be on there more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's exactly that. Yeah, that's a, a good. Um, yeah, definitely a great example. I think. Um, so yeah, hopefully that will change. Hopefully, hopefully that will change. Um, Lydia, thank you very much indeed for coming on today. It's been a pleasure to uh, meet you and to talk to you. And uh, as I say, enjoy the rest of your time in South Africa. And uh, um, the the book, Women and Girls Cricket, How We Can Grow the Game Together, available. I know it's available on Amazon. Is it available elsewhere? Or is that just a... um, So it's available at uh, Waterstones and also the Female Cricket Store, which is um, the online store that I, I um, run. So, yeah available there as well well cricket badges out there buy it buy it and, <laughs> uh, and and read it and devour it um lydia thank you again thanks everybody out there for uh, watching and, and listening to the uh, cricket badger podcast i think we're back next week i'm just trying to sort out something with roland butcher to come on um next week and to talk about his life and times in the game as well but i don't know what day that's going to be next week but it will be i hope at some stage next week but uh, i will see you again very soon indeed cheers everybody
Social Podcast Network.